Hello and welcome to Notes from the Way. My name is Richard and this is a weekly podcast where we get together and talk about what it means to live a passionate Christian life in the 21st century. What does it mean to live a life where God touches us and we know him, not just know about him, but we really know him as our father and as our God. As we get to know him, then he changes us in the way we relate to the people around us, both believers and unbelievers. This week has been a rough, rough week here in Southern California. Most of you have probably seen on the news, wherever you live, uh, that we have just been hit by a string of forest fires and wildfires that have taken out uh, hundreds of homes. Uh, Several people have been uh, killed as a result of the fire, and it's just been a mess. I just wanted to encourage you to keep praying for us. My family and I are in an area where we're not in danger at all, but there's a lot of people who still are in some danger. In a lot more people that have lost their homes, they've lost everything they have as far as physical, material things. And even more sad, uh, there are people that have lost family members due to this fire. Just wanted to encourage you to pray for them and to pray for the firefighters that are actually in the front lines, on the front lines, uh, fighting these fires. It looks like the wind has uh, started to uh, change and some of the weather patterns are starting to change. So that maybe we're on the back side of this thing, but uh, it's been rough, and I appreciate those of you that have been praying for us, and keep it up, please. And since it has been so rough, I wanted to give you something that has been really encouraging to me, uh, that I read in a book that I just finished, a book called Kingdom Triangle, uh, by an author named J.P. Moreland. And it's, you know, sometimes we talk about the state of the church in America, in the Western world, and frankly, it's not in that great a shape. But that doesn't mean God's not on the move, because he is. God is at work in this world. And I just wanted to share something that I read at the very back of this book about what God is doing in a couple of countries that are just very hardcore Muslim countries, Bangladesh and Pakistan. Listen to this. Since 1997, 522,000 Bangladeshi Muslims have turned to Jesus, have become Christians. Now, this is in a culture that's highly repressive towards anyone who uh, is not a Muslim. Uh, Currently, they said about 10,000 Bangladeshis a month are becoming Christians. This is as of 2005. It doesn't seem like a lot. They say it doesn't sound like a lot in a nation of 144 million, but it's a rising number and it's multiplying geometrically. And just in the past year, 500,000 Pakistani Muslims have recognized Jesus as their Lord, become followers of his. Uh, it says that uh, 240,000 of them made decisions for him in only three days of a crusade in one of the Pakistani cities in November. That would be November of 2005. Um, again, half a million, not that impressive a number, but it's just one year... And as far as a reference point for this, they said that until this point, that to have three or four Muslims convert in a year was the the normal way of things. So God is at work, even in countries that we think of as being really hardcore Muslim. God is saving people, and he's bringing people out of darkness into light. I just wanted to encourage you with that. And with that, I want us to turn to the news. Oh, 
Okay, and the news story for today is from the Christian Post. It's about Paige Patterson, who is the president of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, a former uh, president of the Southern Baptist Convention, and he's in some hot water uh, recently because of something he did. He fired a professor there at the seminary named Sherry Clouda, or Cluda, I'm not sure, we're going to say Clouda for this story, uh, fired her because she is a woman. She was a woman teaching Hebrew at the seminary since 2002, and in Dr. Patterson's opinion, women are not allowed to teach theology in seminaries, at least not teach theology to men. So she was uh, fired from her tenured position, tenure track position, and uh, she has, in fact, uh, filed a lawsuit against uh, the seminary and against Dr. Patterson because of it. And he's come in some hot water here in this situation. And, uh, frankly, I think a lot of the hot water is justified for several reasons. One, apparently he made a statement uh, when he first was, uh, was he first brought in as president of the seminary that um, everybody's position there was going to be safe. And then he went ahead to fire this woman. Uh, but beyond that, I think he's just got some odd interpretations. Uh, it's just interesting to me uh, to widen this beyond the whole Patterson-Clauda issue. Uh, that his complaint is that uh, people who interpret, especially First Timothy 2.15, in a way different from him, that they're bowing to the culture. Um but where Patterson is concerned, I think he has bowed to tradition in many ways, in many circumstances. And I'll give you a few examples. He talks about how it's not lawful or not, uh, the women are not able to teach, not able to teach men theology in the seminary, but they're able to teach history. They're able to teach a lot of other things in the seminary, just not theology. Which is odd, because if women aren't able to teach or exercise authority over men, I think that should be a blanket thing, not that you pick and choose what you're able to do. Uh, secondly, um, he's talking about teaching in the seminary. Well, in the New Testament, there is no seminary. You know, Paul never went to seminary. Neither did Peter, neither did James, John, any of the disciples. None of them went to seminary. They studied at the feet of Jesus. And then they taught others the way of Jesus. Uh, the, the way that the people learned at that time was by modeling and learning at the feet of another person. There was no institution of seminary. So he, in essence, is bowing to a tradition that's grown up outside of the Bible. Uh, he also talks about women not being senior pastors which he obviously believes that, very strongly believes that women shouldn't be senior pastors. There are no senior pastors in the Bible either. In the Bible, the church is, is guarded and watched by teams of elders, not one person who's in charge of everything going on in the church. The whole idea of a senior pastor who has the authority in a church is not a New Testament idea. I hate to be the one to break that to some people. But it's not, it doesn't come from the Bible. So for Dr. Patterson to talk about these things and say that women shouldn't hold this position, well, one, maybe there shouldn't be seminaries at all if Dr. Patterson really wants to get back to what the Bible actually says. Uh, but the problem is that 
all of us come to the Bible with some preconceived notions. That's true of me, that's true of you, that's true of Dr. Patterson, it's true of everybody who reads the Bible. And our goal is not to make the Bible agree with what we already think. The goal is to find out what God is actually saying in his word and to conform our lives to that. That's the Holy Spirit's job. That's what the Holy Spirit does in, in us is form our hearts and our minds to what the Bible really says, to what God really has to say to us. So, you know, Dr. Patterson, we need to be careful when we criticize different people in the church, because as far as I know, Dr. Patterson's a good guy. He's done a lot of uh, good things in the Southern Baptist denomination. But Dr. Patterson needs to remember that it wasn't uh, that many years ago when the same, uh, the people in the con in the convention... He needs to remember that it wasn't that long ago that people in the same convention that he belongs to were using the Bible to defend slavery as being a biblical institution. And they were using saying that that was the tradition and the traditional interpretation of Scripture allowed for and actually condoned the use of slavery. I was just reading not too long ago, within the last couple of weeks, the work of, I believe his first name was Charles, but Dr. Furman, who... Uh, one of the founders and one of the, the people, the person that the Furman University in South Carolina is uh, named after. And uh, Mr. Furman wrote a treatise that was used for a generation defending slavery from a biblical standpoint. And it's despicable. It's absolutely despicable. And I don't think Dr. Patterson would say, well, hey, that's the traditional uh, interpretation of Scripture, so we should go back to slavery. But, you know, Furman was looking at scripture from his own cultural vantage point just like I do just like Dr. Patterson does and he was able to justify what he wanted to justify in it but the Bible doesn't justify slavery and I think it's very clear the Bible doesn't justify uh, treating anybody as a second-class citizen but we need to remember when we go to the Bible we don't go to it as a blank slate we go to it with some of our own ideas with some of our own preconceived notions but our job, when we go there, is to find out what the Holy Spirit wants to teach us. And find out what the, what the words are actually saying, not just what we want them to say or what we want to read into them. I'm afraid that Dr. Patterson, one of the places where he's erred is he's reading into Scripture what he may want to see in Scripture, rather than taking out of it what's actually there. So... We'll see what the resolution of this is. I have some problems with Dr. Clouda uh, making this into a federal lawsuit. We can uh, maybe touch on those issues later, but uh, we'll see what happens. We'll keep an eye on this. But when you go to Scripture, remember, we need to go to Scripture looking uh, for what God has for us rather for, than what we want to read into the Scriptures. And when we look to read into the Scriptures, we get ourselves into trouble. And uh, Dr. Patterson seems like he's in a little trouble. Anyway, let's, speaking of that, let's look and see what God actually uh, wants to say to us today in his word. In the scriptures this week, I was looking at the Lord's Prayer, what some people call the model prayer, the prayer that Jesus uh, gave to his disciples uh, as an example of how they should pray. And I just wanted to read the first part of it. And I know we all know the prayer, but I just wanted to read it to you. 
Uh, he begins in uh, Matthew 6, verse 9, saying, This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You know, it struck me that Jesus was just revolutionary. In a lot of ways, Jesus was revolutionary. Uh, but in the way he referred to God, it was especially uh, just amazing because he referred to God as Father. Now, this wasn't a normal thing in Jewish life. Uh, God was their uh, creator, their protector, their sustainer, all those things. But he wasn't their father in a real sense. Then Jesus comes along and says, it's even a closer relationship than you even realize with God. And he's not all those things, which he is our creator and our uh, provider and all those things. But he's also our father. And that very close, intimate relationship that that entails or that talks about is really true in our lives. And he encourages us to pray, when we pray, to pray to God as our Father. I was thinking about this because, you know, growing up, I didn't really have a father. Uh, my, my dad left when I was two, and I saw him very rarely. And I think my experience is probably more common than uh, we really like to think about. And I also think that when you grow up with an experience like that, where you don't have a father figure in the house, or maybe you have a father figure that's flawed like, like all of us are, I think sometimes that becomes a hindrance to our relationship with God because we perceive God in some ways the same way we perceive our earthly father. That's a good thing uh, if you have a father who's conscious of that and who's trying to be a good example but it can also be a thing that hinders us from becoming more intimately related and more intimately uh, in more intimate contact with God. So I just wanted to, us to think about the fact that sometimes we have a twisted view of God, and we're talking in the last few weeks about things that keep us from being more connected with our Savior and more connected with, with the God who loves us so much. And one of the reasons is we have a, a kind of a twisted or kind of an, un, uh, an, an unrealistic view of who God is. If you're in the position that I was, where you never had a father figure growing up, then sometimes you might see God as being uh, more distant and be more unattached and unattainable uh, than what he really is. And I know in my life that is absolutely true, that I have not seen God as being a, a close, loving father. The Bible teaches us that he is. And some of that, I think, is because in my experience, I've never really had that. So I was just thinking about some of the ways that God is like a father to us. And one, you know, he's our provider. He provides everything for us. Uh, and sometimes we don't see that. Again, I, my father wasn't my provider, so I didn't see that in a real tangible way. Uh, but that's really who God is. God provides everything in our lives. Uh, the very breath that we breathe, the very uh, air that we have, and the food and the shelter and the clothing whatever we have god has provided for us either directly or indirectly by giving us the ability to have those things and you know he provides correction for us you know in a lot of cases uh, fathers when they're absent the the sons especially but children uh, tend to lack in some discipline and uh, so god provides that correction for us but not in such a way that it's abusive or negative i know in my own case with my kids when I correct them, it's not because I want to punish them or I want to get back at them or because I'm angry with them. It's because I want them to know the joys of being on the right path. 
and I want to have that close relationship with them, and I want them to succeed at doing what they do, and for them to succeed at those things, they need to be able to do them well. So I correct them so they go on the right path. I think sometimes we see God as being you know, judgmental in such a way that he's ready just to jump on us and make sure that we do the things that he wants us to do. But when God corrects us, I mean, the Bible says it. He says he, he corrects the ones that he loves. And, and so correction is a loving thing that God gives to us, and it's to draw us closer to him and to make us more like his son, that he corrects us and moves us back onto the right path. You know, God wouldn't be doing us any favor if he just allowed us to go and do whatever we wanted to do with no consequence. You know, we'd end up in being in train wrecks of lives. And he doesn't want that for us. He wants the best for us because we're his children. So he's our corrector. You know, he provides wisdom for us. There's nothing like having the wisdom of a person who has lived through everything that life has to offer. And I cherish the people in my life, my life that are... Uh, that are wise and who have just gained a lot of life experience. Well, God is the one who knows everything. And he has all things known from the beginning to the end and from the top to the bottom. And so the fact that we can come to him to learn and to gain wisdom about life is a great blessing from him. And sometimes we don't take that opportunity to say, Lord, what can I learn from this? What do you want to teach me? Because a lot of things, I think, come in our lives, and God wants to teach us through those things, but yet we don't see it, and he, we don't allow him to do that. And so he, God is a great support, a great uh, source of wisdom for us that we need to use. And, and the last thing I was thinking about is that he's a source of stability for us. In other words, life is just, in, I was thinking about all the things that have gone on in Southern California this week with the fires, and it's just, it's so scary because you hear the stories of people who, you know, they walk outside their house and they see some smoke and then 10 minutes later, the fire has come up over a mountain ridge and it's racing down towards their home and they have just a few minutes to take anything that's important to them and throw it into their car and go. And it's so comforting for me to know that we have a loving, heavenly father who is always on our side and who's always going to be there for us. And not to condemn us and not to uh, beat us over the head, but because he loves us. He's always there and he's always that source of stability and strength. So I want us to, to just think this week, if you can, about the fact that God is our father. And no matter how flawed the father in our own lives might have been, and I, you know, for myself, I do the best I can to be a good father for my children. But I am deeply, deeply flawed. I mean, I've got a lot of things going on that I'm not a great father a lot of the time. But God is that great, perfect father. And all those things that we strive to be as parents, God is as our father in heaven. So look to him for that and trust him to be that for you. And if you're like me, it's something I've been trying to do in the last few years is to have God really just become a parent to me and really become a person that I can depend on and to realize that I depend on him. And to realize that he's always going to be there. I'm always going to be able to trust him. And if you have a situation where you come from a home where there was a parent that you couldn't believe in or trust for whatever reason, remember that God's not like that. You know, I think one of the reasons why there's been such an attack on the family is that people who come from families that are torn apart by divorce or abuse or whatever 
sometimes find it hard to trust God. I want to encourage you, if you come from a background like that, that God's not like that. That's not who God is. Uh, God is everything perfect that our parents and ourselves that we couldn't be. That maybe we wanted to be. Maybe we want to be that perfect parent, but we can't do it. But God can and God does. And that we can fully, completely trust him in every aspect of our lives that he is going to do and say and be all the things that he's promised for us. And that's a comfort. That is a complete comfort for me to know that I can rest in him. I can trust in him. I can depend on him. Even when everything else in my life is falling apart. And I can come to him and I can just have that relationship that I was supposed to have with my own earthly father that didn't work out. But I can have that same kind of relationship with my heavenly father. So this week, just think about that and just thank him for the fact that he's there, and that he's perfectly able to provide for us, uh, to correct us when we need it, uh, to give us the wisdom and the help that we need, and that he's just a rock that we can lean on and stand on through the storms and the trials and all the stuff that comes up in our lives. And I think that as we learn that, that we'll become just even more, in my life, I become even more thankful and grateful for all the things that God is for me and in my life. And that's it. That's all. I just want to share that with you uh, from the scripture. Well, I hope you've gotten some insight or some blessing uh, from the, some of the things we've talked about this week. If you have some thoughts, some comments, something you want to uh, ask me about or something you just want to tell me about, remember, you can drop me an email anytime at nftw at sbcglobal.net or you can drop by the blog that is dedicated to this podcast which is notesfromtheway.blogspot.com either way I look forward to hearing from you I hope you've been blessed the way that I've been blessed uh, just to be able to share with you guys Thank you.